Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Ashish Goyal. He's an entrepreneur, a designer, a former teaching fellow at the D School, which is the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford, and is the former head of design at Zomato, India's larger scale Yelp. He currently runs Boca, his sparkling water startup, and advises some of India's top technology companies on design and product management. His brand new book is called Drawing on Courage and is packed with insights and tools and comics for anyone who wants to jump in and apply design tools towards the mind and better yet, the mindset of fearlessness. Now we get into that. We talk about drawing on courage how fear never really will go away, but we can always be good at triaging its approach to us when it attacks. This is a great book, not just because of the topic, but also the implementation. It is one part graphic novel in many, many ways, and I love it because of that, as well as an easy and approachable way to get into the topic, and I know you're going to love it. So one, pick up that book and flip through it, but two, enjoy this conversation with Ashish Goyal. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Ashish Goyal. Ashish, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. So you're in India right now. I just, I'm going to call this out. (laughs) I'm so glad that you stayed up. It's like 1030 almost at night for you. For me, it's about one o'clock in the afternoon. I think that that's a really great testament to the fact that you were willing to stay up. And in fact, it leans into your chronotype you mentioned, which the fact that you know that word just fills me with happiness because that's something we've talked about on this show even a few months ago recently. Yeah, I I was just listening to the episode with Dan Pink in which you speak about both of his books. And I found out the word chronotype because all my life I have been perpetually late and I always sleep at 1 or 2 or 3 a.m. So this time is actually perfect. I am alert and alive at this hour of the day, much more than I am in the mornings. And that's what we like to hear. Somebody who's out there leaning into their, <laughs> you know, prime time of doing the work. And, and I'm glad that you're doing the work now with me here on this episode. So thank you. I'm glad. So you have a new book out called Drawing on Courage, Risks Worth Taking and Stands Worth Making. And I, one, applaud the alliteration on the subtitle because we rarely get that. So great job. (laughs) Thank you. This book is honestly something refreshing to see, I think. It's all about courage. It's all about essentially what that is and courage's relationship to fear, not something that we regularly talk about on this show, but definitely an ever-present, maybe ubiquitous kind of a struggle or challenge for people in productivity. Because often I think and see and experience myself for that matter, 
fear derailing not only my decision-making process, my motivation, my follow-through on even small and simple tasks. I'm curious, what was your catalyst and experience towards why you wanted to collect and create this book at this time? Yes, absolutely. I can think about two transitions that I had in my life. And the second one is what triggered the theme of courage and then eventually doing the research and writing to create this book. I trained as an engineer and I started a company pretty much right out of college. And that's how I found my way towards the world of design and design thinking. We sold our company and I decided to go study design because it felt like that was the right toolkit that I wanted to learn and then apply to whatever endeavors that I wanted to do in my life. That's how I ended up at Stanford. I studied design and then I taught at the Stanford D School or Design School, which is the institute that has co-created this book and a whole series of books around different themes. So when I left the D School and I moved back to India, and I felt like I finally have all the tools I need to bring change, to make an impact, to whatever context or whatever organization I go into. And I joined a company in India called Zomato, which is like India's DoorDash and Yelp rolled into one. And it was in that organizational milieu that I found that, okay, I had the skills, I had the knowledge, and that's often my reflex. Anytime I'm struggling with something, I'll go find a book. Like if I'm struggling to lead my team, I'll find a book on coaching or leadership. If I'm struggling to navigate executive meetings, I might read a book on negotiation and so on and so forth. So I'm this sponge for knowledge. And I realized that there comes a point that that isn't enough and you can't improve either your skills or the conditions. And it's still risky. There's still fear. You don't know how things are going to turn out and you still have to act. And when I thought about what's that missing ingredient, the word that came to mind for me was courage. So here I was who had collected so much skills or experience or learning. And then when I was struggling with things, it was about choosing courage in spite of what lay ahead. And that's what inspired the book. Amazing. Amazing. I'm glad you uh, could enlighten us there. I want to call out one other piece before we really dive into the topic of the book of courage and fear and all of this. It's that it's a unique book in that it's not just a book. It's almost, I would dare to say, it's almost one part graphic novel in a way intermixed between all the different pieces. Can you describe the book a little better in your perspective as to how you see it? Because as I flip through, which I'm literally doing right now, there's so many great illustrations and comic strips, I guess is another way people would maybe get a better or a clearer picture of that. Why was that approach taken for this book? So I always introduce my book as a comic book and a guidebook about choosing courage in your life. One reason I chose comics is because I love comics. Even as a kid, there are all these Indian superheroes that I grew up reading and then I fell in love with. Uh, Especially, there's this publisher called Image Comics. They have a whole series of lovely books and I love the medium. And it's something that I wanted to experiment with. That was one of the reasons I chose comics. Like you said, it's half of the book is comic strips. The second reason why I chose comic books is... Courage is so much about how things feel in the moment. And courage is also kind of a serious topic. It feels like a heavy topic. And what I wanted to do with the comics, I have anthropomorphized different components of courage. So fear shows up as a character, the main protagonist, whom I call Boo, a little ghost-like figure. 
the values and purpose that drives you towards whatever you need to do, those show up as characters. And what happens at the end, consequences, they also show up as characters. And then with the interplay of these, you can situate yourself in your own dilemmas, in your own challenges, and really recognize how those moments feel. Because courage is so much about navigating with heart and not so much navigating with rationality or logic. And I think comics bring those moments to life in a way that words don't always do. Yeah, I was going to say, when dealing with or wrestling with the challenge of fear and courage and taking creative risks, that can be not just a head thing, but an emotional thing as well. And so I feel like you're addressing the whole picture when you've got these cartoons or comic strips and comic book aspect to this. It also makes a great way to break up the content in different kind of you know, okay, we've just absorbed some information. Now let's do an illustration, a literal illustration, as well as a figurative illustration, right? Yeah. It also let me really play with tone. Like I could quote the research that says, this is how, for example, there is research that says fear is just misdirected energy. And if you recognize that, if you tell yourself, I'm excited, I'm not nervous, you can tap into that energy. So it's one thing to mention that research in the book. But when I translate that into a comic, our protagonist and fear of the kind of having a little spat, and in the end, they are going off on a rocket when the character says, I'm excited, not nervous. And fear's disappointed with this turn of events. And our protagonist says, that worked better than I thought. So it also brings a bit of humor to the research and the concepts in the prose. So I am curious, though, I mean, working from a creative side of things, obviously, you're approaching this from taking creative risks, but obviously, it extends far beyond just, you know, a career type fear or fear in terms of work. It also overlaps into all of life. So I'm curious, though, like, how do you see the difference between this topic of courage and fear and creative risks, as well as everyday life? What's the mix there between work life and home life balance when it comes to this? Actually, the way I describe courage in my book, I differentiate between what one would call epic courage, which is usually what comes to mind when we think about the word courage, someone jumping into the ocean to save a drowning child, or, you know, something that deserves an award or a medal. That's how we think of courage. And I call that epic courage. And in fact, what I talk about in my book and what I encourage people to practice more of is everyday courage, which is exactly what you spoke about, which may or may not be a creative risk, which may or may not be about starting a business or putting creative work out into the world. It may really be saying hello to a stranger on a train, or it may really be just having a difficult conversation. I say this book is not about designing with courage. This book is about couraging with design. So what we do at the D school is we say, okay, design is not just for designers. Design is for everybody. As a set of tools and a ways of thinking that you can bring to bear to whatever problem that you have. And in fact, I think the way you get used to how your fears feel is by practicing courage every day. But I offer tools in the book that come from the world of design and come from the world of creativity. And I think what's interesting, as you put it, couraging with design, as you do that, it's like you're applying design principles in a way to everyday life and designing a life worth living. Absolutely. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that one of the key pieces here is let's just first off, let's just call it what it is. I mean, you defined courage a bit there with epic and every day. So let's flip the script and say, okay, fear is the opposite in a sense to that. What's your definition of fear? What's my definition of fear? That's a great question. I think fear is just a feeling and it's very hard to define fear. In fact, I call fear a shapeshifter in my book. For example, if you're trying to do creative work, there are all these voices in your head that prop up. Uh, as you start the work, you might wonder if it'll be good enough. You wonder if you have the tools to approach the work and so on and so forth. At each moment of as you navigate whatever project you might be going through, it's just fear in different voices. So I call fear a shapeshifter. And that's true of asking someone out for a coffee. There's fear there. Submitting an assignment. Going on a podcast. So I think I think fear is is an emotion, a one that has negative force. It's trying to stop you from whatever you perceive as something risky. So it's useful. Fear is useful because it points towards the risks ahead. But sometimes fear also stops us from ever moving forward in the first place. I'm glad that you call it a shapeshifter because it takes on so many different forms. And it's like, once you catch on to what form it's taken, it shifts into a different one and will distract you, wear you down, or derail you with a whole new tactic until you identify it there again. I mean, you know, one of the cartoons that I thought was great was you've got the fear of the unknown, yes, fear of incompetence, and fear of inconsequence. And then one of my favorites was Fear of Missing Out, where he, Fear in the comic, says, why finish one project when you can dream about 10? And we've definitely <laughs> talked about that before on this show. Actually, the, uh, it's true. I think I always think about procrastination has an element of fear. That's often why you procrastinate on important projects, because, I mean, some of them because you don't have enough activation energy to do, but some of them you procrastinate on because you are scared about what might happen. I know in an earlier episode of yours that I was listening to, there was talk about starting a business or starting something of your own. 
in that episode on regret, that one thing that people regret is that they did not start a business when they had the chance. And you might be thinking about it that for a long time, you might be procrastinating on taking action. And that is, once you get down to why that is, fear is always going to show up as a character that is shaping that decision. I think what's funny, again, going back to that final panel of the cartoon where fear is like, you know, why finish one project and we can dream up about 10? And I think a lot of people listening can identify with that. And then you've got like sushi, risotto and tacos on the table where he's offering all these different things. And he's like, you know, here's a new side project, sushi. Here's writing risotto resolution. Here's imaginary TED Talk tacos. And it's all, <laughs> and those are great examples because those are things that people are like, they see especially when it comes under the category of fear of missing out. We, as people, see others doing those examples, a new side project, a writing resolution, a TED Talk. Those are just three starter examples. There's many, 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 many more. But when we see other people succeeding on those goals that we think, oh, I should have that goal too. I should be checking that off in my life list as well. And we're not. And by the way, we're only just seeing them post about it on social media probably. And so we don't know. We don't really know their story either. But that can be very disheartening or derailing when you're working on the thing that's in front of you that needs to get done. And yet you're like, again, like the character, fear transformed in here. Why finish one project when you can dream about 10 more? And we've all been there. I remember uh, this little graph of called Life of a Project that I first read on Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist. And you start with this is the best project ever. And then you get into it and on the y-axis is emotion and it goes down, down, down till it becomes dark night of the soul. So while you are working on whatever project you started, like you said, you see all these other people doing interesting things and then your instinct is to either quit or procrastinate and it keeps getting worse and worse. And that too, that's, I mean, that's fear doing what it always does. Well, and I think the thing that people are really thinking of here when it comes to fear is, well, I just want to get rid of it then. I'd like to stop being afraid. But I don't know that that's necessarily something that's, one, easy, two, possible, and three, I guess, what's your take on that? (laughs) Absolutely. In fact, that is uh, one of the fundamental concepts in the book, and that is the definition of courage, that courage is not the absence of fear, courage is mastery of fear. You have to act while being fearful. In the book, I suggest three ways in which you can tackle your fear. One is to just expose it, recognize fear for in all its shape-shifting avatars. Uh, the second is you get used to it. And the third is you can get rid of it. But the very truth of courage is that you can never get rid of the risks. There is going to be ambiguity in the situation that you're in. And that is why it is hard to act. So while you can prepare yourself for what lies ahead, you can never get rid of it. And if you keep waiting for the perfect conditions, there's another comic in the book called The Other Side, where the character goes and he wants to take a leap to the other side, but he's not ready. So what he does, and you'll see in the comic that all these frames where first he goes to a workshop, then he buys a book, then he gets a trainer. And in the final frame, the other side has disappeared. And he asks a passerby, hey, what happened to the other side? And the passerby says, well, next time, don't wait so long before you leap. So courage is also about timing because the moment can pass you by. 
So you can never get rid of the fear. Only be prepared for it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I hear a lot of people thinking, well, yeah, but that's part of the fear, too, is thinking, wait, am I leaping too soon? Am I leaping too late? Should I leap at all? And really, there's almost no way to ever know a, quote, right answer in that situation so much as just living with it and moving forward and just gaining experience towards and wisdom towards future decisions that, again, you have less control than you think. You also have more control than you think. Indeed. I actually think of courage. I describe courage in my book as this journey of four stops. So the first stop is fear, which we spoke about, which is the thing that's trying to hold you back from the risks ahead. The second stop is your values and your purpose. No matter what act that you're considering, that you, f- you feel you need courage, there is something pulling you to do it. And that's usually something that you value or something you care about. That's the second stop. The third stop is the actual act of courage or action, often the moment that many of us chicken out. And then there is a fourth stop, which I call change, because there is always something, the, the, like the very, very choice of courage is about bringing some kind of change. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not good. And like you said, Eric, there is never the perfect time. Mm-hmm. You have to make that choice and then you have to deal with what changes or consequences came your way. Well, in the book, and you, you refer to the four stages of every courage journey, and those four stages are fear, values, action, and change. We've brought up fear. We talked about that a, a bunch here, though we could probably still spend a little bit more time on that. The other three, values, action, and change. You just mentioned change. Let's tie the four together in order and talk about a little bit more, say, where fear is just for a a brief moment and then move on through the remainder of the other three stages and call those out, define those a little bit. Sure. So we don't always think about courage in our everyday lives. We only think about courage when we are faced with a certain challenge or a dilemma. It might be something really small. One thing I talk about in, in my book is having a difficult conversation. It might be sharing feedback with someone. It might be having an exit interview. It might be just engaging in conflict. And I think of those as avenues for practicing everyday courage. So you, there's usually a dilemma or usually a challenge that you are trying to navigate. And that's that's when you think of courage. And whether that navigation of the challenge is a moment or several days or months, They go through these four stops, according to me. The first is fear, which you just spoke about, because you don't know what lies ahead. Your body tells you, "Mm -mm, don't go there, stay in your lane. So that's fear. No matter how much you try to talk yourself out of taking action, something keeps pulling you towards doing it anyway. Something tells you that's the right thing to do. You must do it. So that voice, on one hand, there's a voice of fear telling you to not take action. And then there's this other voice, sometimes a quieter, quieter voice, pointing the way in the opposite direction. That's what I think is the voice of whatever you value, your values, or your purpose. What's your purpose in taking this action? And I describe in the book how one of the ways in which you can act with more courage is when you can distill and clarify what is it that really matters to you, why you want to take this action. Once you've evaluated or reflected on these two, there's the third stop. That is the actual moment of courage where you either make a decision or you take an action, or sometimes the choice might be to not do anything. And then the fourth stop is what happened based on that choice or action. What were the consequences, which could be that things went well, 
It could be that things went badly, you failed, or it could be the worst of those two is it's indeterminate. You don't know whether things went as you expected or things went badly, and then you have to still figure out what to do next. Those are the four stops as I see them. Perfect. Okay. Well, and so the thing is, is that uh, we may be in various stages of these four stages, depending upon what it is we're wrestling with and where the fear is showing up in its all of its transformational properties or shape-shifting properties. So I think of this as a diagnostic tool as well, that if you're stuck, if you were to like zoom out into how your journey might be, what is it that you need to process? Do you need to externalize your fears or do you need to think about what are the risks ahead that are causing it? Do you need to clarify your values or have you done both of those? You just have been avoiding taking action. As you put it really well, I think this journey can also serve as a diagnostic to figure out where you're stuck and what you might do about it. Very interesting. Yeah. And I think that's the thing right there is a lot of people, they may not even be aware of how stuck they are across the board in many different areas. And I think, like you said, this is a great diagnostic tool. I don't think we should assume that we're going to move through the four stages of the courage journey quickly in all instances. But I think there may be some where as soon as you kind of understand it and identify things and and can move through the process, you can move through the process quicker in, in some places, but not all. Absolutely. When you think about a lot of moments of courage, it's it's like the split second decision that you have to take. So you're not even aware of the journey and then you just have to take action no matter what. And then there are other scenarios. I, I especially think about starting something on your own. That's a decision or an action that people do dwell upon. And there the, the journey of courage is much more elongated where you can stop and reflect at each of these stops. But then there are other moments where you can only do that in reflection. You can only do that looking back, but it's much harder to do in the moment. For people who are listening and thinking, this sounds like it's difficult. This sounds like it's hard. It's a challenge and ongoing, just wrestling with fear. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily wrong, but I do want to point out that there is a phrase you use as a header for a section in the book called surfing the wave of fear. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Surfing the wave of fear. So, The way I think about it is that fear is actually proportional to how risky a situation feels. For example, I'm going to ask for an extra topping at Starbucks. That's not that risky, although I can imagine some people who would be fearful of doing that. Whereas if you are using your life savings to start a business, that's much more risky. So fear is very little in a low-risk environment, and it's much higher in a high-risk environment. So that's what I called the wave of fear. And it's a great metaphor because those are the waters that you have to get into when you're choosing courage. Now, how do you surf this wave of fear? That's where I think of your values or purpose as the surfboard. Because no matter what the risk is, if you have clarity about why what you're doing matters, you can actually face your fear and take action. So that's surfing the wave of fear. And I mean, again, for some people, surfing alone is scary, but for other people, surfing is fun. It's a, it's an enjoyable thing. It's something you go do on purpose because it has a challenge to it, but also a thrill to it in a sense. Yes. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to convey here is that I almost look at it when you're talking about finding your purpose and your values, that that's almost like the surfboard. 
Yes, that is a soft word. Literally, that's the metaphor. As weird as a phrase that is. Um, (laughs) But that's the surfboard. And it's like, okay, well, as long as you can start to, in each of these instances, come up with, okay, what's my surfboard here? You can start to surf it. And even if it's going to take you some time to balance and get used to a new wave, because fear often comes in waves, (laughs) you can start to surf it. I love it. What's my surfboard? Even though... I came up with that comic. That's not how I thought of it. I'm going to remember that. Next time I'm stuck somewhere, I'm going to ask myself, what's my surfboard? Yeah. Thanks, Eric. See, there you go. I, I love <laughs> I'm going to, you can take that one and, and, and run with it for free or surf with it for free, I should say. <laughs> Obviously, there's so much in this book. I mean, it's it's so dense. In a weird way, it's dense and light at the same time. There's so much here to work with, to discover, to unpack, but in a fun way and, you know, in a head and heart and emotion way. I'm curious, is there a way for one people to enter in, to get a quick win, to walk through an example of a quick, easy learning from the book, get a quick win and then say, okay, I have confidence that what he's talking about works. One of the tools that I actually used recently is I called shrinking your fear. And what happens is fear is always this voice in our head and we don't always recognize it as fear. So if you're stuck in any situation, just list what that voice is telling you, right? So it might start with, I'm afraid of, or I worry that, or I'm anxious about, and you just list down those fears. And what I found is that those fears generally fall into four buckets. So the first bucket is currently irrelevant. For example, if you feel you're too old to start a novel, what does age have to do with the novel? The second bucket is completely baseless. I mean, the fear is sort of ramping up how risky the thing might be. But then when you look at it laid out, you might realize that it's not really true. So those two you can avoid right away. And then the other two are mildly mortifying. For example, if you have to go up on stage and there is an audience There is something mortifying about that. And then there is the legitimately scary, if you might truly fail. So when you list down your fears, the ones you only have to deal with are the mildly mortifying or the legitimately scary. And that can make it easier for you to choose courage than just deal with the endless inner voice stopping you. So that's a tool that I can suggest your listeners try and see where that takes them. Great. The follow-up question is, is obviously there's so much in this book. I've talked about how dense it is and yet how accessible it is and easy to digest it is and, and apply. I would love for people, if you can direct me and those listening to a place where they can find out more about the book, a landing page. You know, I know everybody can grab it from Amazon, but if there's a place where they can get like a sample or take a peek, where would they best go do that? The best place to do that is my Twitter, which is AS. H-P-O-D-E-L, Ash Podell. And there are some samples. There's a flipped video of the book. I'll also post a link in my Twitter profile to the actual uh, Penguin Random House page for the book that should have more. Perfect. And I'll make sure to link to that page as well as your Twitter account for people to have a quick, easy way to jump in and connect with you as well as the book. There's just so much in here that I'd be remiss if I didn't start directing people that way. 
I'll also share a link with you for the D-School website or for the whole book. Actually, this book is one of a series. There's a book on courage, a book on belonging, a book on maps, and a book on ambiguity. So I'm also going to send you the link to the D-School website for the books. And that's not a place where your listeners can take a look at my book and then some. Ashish, thank you. I'm going to link up to all those things in the show notes for everybody to click through quick and easy, and then they don't have to you know, stop what they're doing if they're driving, running, et cetera, right now. They can always come back to the show notes very easy and just click through. So Ashish, it's been so fun talking with you. I can't wait to see what you continue to do next and have you back on. Thank you, Eric. It was great speaking with you. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that lovely compliment of the book being both dense and light. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I know that you enjoyed this conversation with Ashish Goyal because I know I did. I know that's a little bit cocky, but who cares? Flipping through the book, I honestly can tell you that like this is one of the better air quotes, business books that are out there because it bridges that gap of not just knowledge, but approachability. It gives you an easy in to the topic that's not just text-based. And I think you're going to love it. I really did myself. And even though I've thought about and talked with other people occasionally in the past about this topic, this is one for the books. This is one that really drives it home because it doesn't just come from a head knowledge space. It comes from a place where courage and fear reside, which is often in our emotional states. And that's what the book does by adding in that graphical element to it. And I don't think it's just because I like comics. I think it's because it really does accomplish what it sets out to do. You definitely want to pick this up. I've linked to it in the show notes. That's also where you can go and share this episode with somebody. Would you do me that favor? If you enjoyed this episode, if you got something out of it, and you know somebody else who needs to hear it, hit that share button on your podcast player app of choice, wherever you're listening to this, send it to that person, let them know that you got something out of this and they will too. Or again, head on over to the show notes where the book is linked up and everything else where you can connect with Ashish. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening. And I will see you next episode.